You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in James chapter 2 tonight. Uh, We'll be in James, and uh, as you find James 2, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the scripture this evening. Um, We've uh, been off of James for about a month. Uh, Brother Jeremy Jacob actually covered the first part of James 2 about a month ago and and, uh, did a wonderful job kind of setting the table here. Uh, The first seven verses made a James message very clear. And, uh, and so I was hoping to come in with, you know, a real, hey, man, this has been a great week, and let me give you just an exciting message, but um, the message tonight, it's the next in line, and that is that it's the mark of a Christian with genuine faith to treat others without partiality. That's the idea. Isn't that exciting? I mean, it's, I can tell you're so excited about that message. Um, you know, you can call it what you want, discrimination, you can call it favoritism, you can call it... Um, Respective persons, the Bible calls it, being partial, whatever you want to call it, um, it's very clear from this text tonight that it's sin. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and go down through verse 13 and primarily focus on the second half of the passage tonight. Um, But we'll start in verse 1 tonight. It says in verse 1, James chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. So he starts by saying a very clear principle of the message here tonight is that partiality is contradictory to faith. You cannot say you have faith and be partial to people. Uh, It it doesn't go together, and and James makes it very clear. And by the way, when he says respect of persons, he's talking about receiving somebody's face. So he says if you receive the face of some people... But you reject the face of other people, that's partiality. It's sin. Um, there is no respect of persons with God, the Bible says. Amen. Meaning that for us to say we have faith in God and yet operate outside of that is to be a contradiction. Verse 1 also gives us the principle of the passage that partiality is contradictory to faith. Verse 2 says, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, or the expense of the nice clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. So he gives this illustration of these two men that come into a church service. And one is obviously wealthy. He's got the clothes to, to, to match. He's, he's rich. Um, and he comes in the clothing that makes it clear where he stands. And you've got another that comes in vile raiment. And he says, if you receive the one that has the expensive looking clothing and you reject the one that doesn't look like he has money, it's partiality. And, and it's interesting at the end of verse 3, he says, or sit here under my footstool. And I was thinking, how could, you, uh, how could somebody sit under a footstool? Well, this is a, a phrase. It used to be that, uh, that conquerors would make their enemies sit under their throne and they'd put their feet on their neck. As if to imply that they've conquered them. So this is a phrase that, that kind of means that it's almost a, 
a catchphrase or it's an allegory. And James is saying you're, you're, it'd be wrong for you to do that to somebody. You would never do that. But being a, respect of, a respecter of persons, it's doing the same thing. It's claiming to be better than, is what he says. Verse 4. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? And he says you're questioning their motives. Or the motives of those coming in and being partial. And you're, but partiality itself is evil. You're questioning other people and yet you're the one doing wrong. Verse 5, it says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? You know, it's interesting, he says, you know, it's often the poor that are richest in faith. You know, the rich, they come in and they don't live day to day. They don't come in being dependent on God uh, to keep their car running. They don't come dependent on God uh, to, to provide for their food for what that day. So they're likely not really even dependent on God. They likely don't even have faith, yet you're showing partiality to those uh, that come in and, and they are not rich in faith. He goes on further and says in verse 6, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Rich men are often the ones persecuting you. Why would you show partiality to them? They're the ones taking you before the courts. They're the ones blaspheming the name of Christ. And then we get into the part of the text that I'm focusing on tonight, verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. And that phrase, royal law, is kind of the focus of this part. And that's the title of my message, the royal law. He says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you do that, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You will be judged. You have liberty, but you will be judged. You still have to answer for it, verse 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy. If this is you with partiality, he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. I'd like to just verse by verse. Go through some truths here tonight that I think will be a help to us, been a help to me in the study. And it, I, the, the title is The Royal Law, but if I was to have a subtitle tonight, which I can since I'm preaching, so I would say Made by Mercy, Marked by Mercy. If we've been made by mercy, then we should be marked by mercy. That's the royal law. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Bishop Potter was a well-known Episcopalian uh, bishop in the late 19th century. And I read this account of him sailing for Europe on a transatlantic ocean liner. And, uh, and he, he got to the, he checked into the boat, got ready for the, the voyage. And once he was on board, he found out that he had a cabin mate. And after meeting his cabin mate, he went down to the purser's desk and he asked about 
checking in his gold watch and checking in his belongings, of value, his valuables into the ship's safe. Because his cabin mate, after meeting his cabin mate, as the kids say these days, they would say his cabin mate was sketchy, shady, uh, questionable. So I mean, he even explained that he never availed himself of the, of the purser's uh, desk and, and of the ship's safe before, but because this cabin mate had the appearance of somebody you could not trust, then he decided on this occasion to use the ship's safe. And so the purser took his stuff and said, it's okay, Bishop, I'll be glad to take care of these things for you. The other man has already been here and left his valuables for the exact same reason. So while Bishop Potter was being, another kid's word these days, judgy about his cabin mate, his cabin mate was also judging him based on his appearance. Don't judge a book by the cover. You know, you've heard that before. So it, it reminded me of James's message, and, and that is this. If you have genuine faith, then you will not discriminate. And that sounds like a politically correct message in this day and age, but it's a biblically correct message. See, Jesus Christ is impartial, and it's the, it's the mark of God not to be a respecter of persons. And as we go through this tonight, understand, I'm not saying don't be discerning about somebody's character. And I'm not saying if somebody has sinned and proven themselves not to be trustworthy, um, that you should just still open them, uh, you know, open and, and accept them with open arms. That's not what I'm saying. What James is talking about is upon first impression. When you see somebody, the look on their face, if that is a reason to be partial or not to be partial, James is saying that that is a sin. And he gives the first reason for not being partial tonight. He says, because God's not partial. See, if we were summing up the first half of this text, we would say this, God treats everyone the same, and so should I. James' first reason to be impartial is because God is. And before we think, now listen, before we think that this is not a problem for us, the reason that God preserved this message in his word is because he understands human nature. And it may not be a huge problem for you right now, and it may not be a problem in our church today, but it's always a potential problem. Because discrimination comes naturally. We naturally make assumptions about people based on how they look. And you say, well, our family's above that. Well, come on. I remember when, when Olivia was little and this little toehead blonde, and she was just a little thing, and she had just started talking, and, and we went somewhere, and, and there was this group of people, and they did not look like us. And Olivia turned to her mom and said, Mommy, those are mean guys. And I looked at her and said, You little racist. <laughs> you little profiler. You know what? We never taught her that. It's natural. It's natural for us to make judgments. Based. Now, she's not, she's not racist anymore. She's gotten through that, just so you know. Those poor guys hadn't done anything. But discrimination is natural. Bias is real. 
prejudice happens. And as enlightened as we think we're becoming, I'm going to trust what James says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and assume that we need this message. Because truth is, transparently speaking, truth is, when I drive downtown, I have a tendency to become, to bemoan the number of people holding up signs. And it's natural, and you may be disappointed in your pastor for admitting that. I'm just telling you um, the things that I, that, that I think, and I don't try to think them. It's just, these are the things that come to my head. It's natural for me to make assumptions about what's happened in that person's life. But here's the thing, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's okay. See, it's natural for some kids to bite. Maybe you've had a biter in your house. But if we haven't taught them not to bite by the time they get to the youth group, that's assault. It's weird. (laughs) To be natural doesn't mean to be okay. By the way, that's a good argument if you're talking to people about how they naturally feel about certain things, how they naturally feel about certain sins, how they naturally feel about certain lifestyles. You know what? It's really not, it shouldn't surprise us that people naturally think that some of these things going around today are okay. It shouldn't be surprising because we all have a sin nature. And we all naturally do things that, that we feel natural doing and our sin nature leads us. And, and we have to, really the Christian life is an exercise in overcoming what's natural to you. It's, a, it's us trying to then be more like Jesus Christ, which, I mean, maybe you claim that that's natural for you. But for most people, it's not natural just to be like Jesus Christ. Following Christ and doing what he did feels unnatural at times. But you know what? Partiality is natural. So James starts the thought with this. Don't claim to have faith in Jesus, the Lord of glory, if you're going to be partial to the people that he created. And there are two things at work here. There's faith and there's favoritism. And these two are not compatible. I mean, it'd be like this. Let's say that you root for South Dakota State University and you've got all the jackrabbits gear. Do we have any South Dakota State fans in the room tonight? No, okay? All right, so we've got one, South Dakota State. If you like South Dakota State, let's cheer. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, (laughs) wow. So you've got a South Dakota State one fan here in the room tonight. And let's say that you and your circle of friends, you're all South Dakota State fans... And, uh, and you root for them. I mean, you've got the blue and yellow. Christmas time, you put up blue and yellow lights on your house. You're a fan. So they're going to go then down to, to play USD, the University of South Dakota. Any fans of that school in here? Okay, a few more. There you go, back there. So you, they're going to go play USD in football. And you're normally a South Dakota State fan, but this year, South Dakota State happens to be really bad in football. So you and your friends are going to go watch the game and you show up then uh, to the game. You show up in coyote red and white. And all your friends have blue and yellow. And so if you show up then claiming to be a South Dakota State fan in coyote red and white, what do you think your friends would think about you? They would say you've either lost the bet... Or you've lost your mind. Uh, See, a true South Dakota State fan 
wouldn't be caught dead in coyote red and white because you're not a fan. It's incompatible. And that's just one way to think about it on the same level, and we're really much, much deeper than that. If God's people hold up a sign that says, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I have faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory, verse 1 says, and they go around and they show partiality, you can doubt their claim. The two are not compatible. And James is saying you can't possibly have genuine faith and be a respecter of persons. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm saying that your faith is immature. This James is all about becoming a mature in Jesus Christ. You can't claim to have genuine faith and yet go out of your way to greet folks that dress well at church, but avoid the ones that don't dress well. You can't claim to have genuine faith, but shake hands with certain people during greeting time while staying away from others. You can't claim to have genuine faith and yet treat a person of one race differently than you treat somebody of another race. You know, we have a Spanish ministry and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful that we have a place that can, they can come and they can speak Spanish and and, and be reached in Spanish. Listen, Eastside Baptist Church welcome, welcomes all races and all languages and all backgrounds and every social status and every bank account and every disability. We should be a place, a haven where people can come and they don't have to wonder how they're going to be treated. We better not ever get to the place that one group is favored over another. When our Spanish ministry walks in the door, they ought to feel every bit as welcome and every bit as part, a part of Eastside Baptist as those coming into the English-speaking church service. It's incompatible. It is not genuine faith to be that way and yet say, oh, I have faith in Christ. You know, James says literally that you're not going to receive the face of some and reject the face of others. If you do that, then that's not compatible to genuine faith. And that was, this was a big deal for James's readers. The vast majority of, of the early converts in, for Christianity were either Jewish or they were the poor. And when somebody with any kind... Now, if you know anything about the history of the Jews, you know they were not well received everywhere they went. And the poor were not well received everywhere they went. So in just about every assembly in this time of history, just about everywhere you went, the churches uh, were full of poor people and Jewish outcasts. They would, have been, they would have been people that even if they were wealthy before, as soon as they received Christ, they would have been ostracized by their family and they would have lost all their possessions. Now, they weren't all poor. There were some that were rich that we know of, but plenty were poor. So James is writing then to these poor assemblies who might occasionally have somebody come into their assembly who's got some money. And can you imagine in a small assembly full of, of poor people and, and Jewish outcasts, when somebody comes in and they're dressed in a way that makes it clear that they've got money, can you imagine how big of a deal that would be for a small church full of poor members to have a wealthy person walk in? These poor member assemblies, they likely had very few members of means. They, so a rich person, would, if they entered, they were probably surrounded. You can almost picture it. They, they would probably, you know, what James is saying, according to his illustration, is that they would be all, all over the, the rich man. And they, they'd say, no, come sit here in the chief seat. And yet to the poor, they'd say, no, you can be my footstool. 
This was literally happening. I remember um, and Abishua and us were talking about this when we went over to India to see his parents um, and, and, him, and him too uh, a few years ago. He was there. Um, we, saw, we went to India and visited and did a missions trip. And uh, we were telling him that cer- certain of the churches, certain of the, the people from certain churches would come up to us and, and uh, they would say, you know, they would, they would put their name down and they would put an email address and, and they would give us their address and they would say, um, uh, write to me, send me something from America. Send me something from America. And this is not to be critical of those ministries. I'm just telling you the mindset. Um, these people have nothing. And they view me, I'm an, I'm an American, and so I must be wealthy. I must have all kinds of riches. And, and so send me something from America. They would come up and they would, they would ask for those things. And, and they, I mean, just anything. And I mean, I still have a Bishua's notes. Like, send me an Xbox, you know. <laughs> I never did. He's still waiting on it. No, literally, that's how it, ha- that's how it works. Because you walk in and they're like, okay, this person is a person of means. And, and, and it, to them, it, it's like they could just, I've got all kinds of stuff. And I could just send whatever I want and, because I'm an American. You know, but James, he, he makes the case by saying, no, God is impartial to people and we should be too. He, he uses God's character as a reason to be impartial. And so that's kind of the first reason it, it, is he says, no, you should be impartial because God's impartial. Not being a respecter of persons, that's part of who God is. So when we break that, we violate the character of God. We go against who God is and, and, and how he treats people. And we should treat everyone the same because God does. That's what he's saying. But then James then transitions and he, and he kind of takes it a different, a little different angle. You've got to kind of note the differences is that we should treat everyone the same because God says... We should, or God, God does, but then he transitions and says, now we also should treat everyone the same because God says. So he says, we should treat everyone the same because God does, but we should also treat everyone the same because God says. So over here, we're treating people the same because of God's character. It's who he is. Over here, we're treating people the same because of God's commandment. And there may have been some people that could justify it over here and say, well, I'm not really sure this applies. Well, but when he comes in with a commandment and he commands it very explicitly, there's no more excuse here. See, James mentions the royal law. And what, what does that mean? Well, Leviticus 19, he says, that says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus, to follow up in Matthew 22, said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, James's answer to favoritism is not sensitivity training. His answer to favoritism is the royal law. And the royal law is this, it's love. And that should answer every question with every person in every situation, no matter what they look like, no matter what they're wearing, no matter the, the, the color of their skin. If you are operating with the royal law as a child of God, that answers every question for you. See, verse 8 begins with this huge uh, word. It's called if. It's a big word, if. And, And in this case, it means since or because. And the idea that he's saying is, since you're fulfilling the royal law according to scriptures, then as the law requires, then you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. 
kind of like a lead-in thing. You know, I mean, when my kids sometimes, in, or your kids, they might ask to do something special or, or something that, a privilege that, you don't they don't always get to do. And you said, oh, sure, yeah, you can do that, especially since you read your Bible this morning. You know, it's kind of a lead-in. You're not really sure if they did. But in some ways, that's what James is doing. He's like, since, since you obviously follow the royal law, then you're, you're going to treat people with that kind of love and, and you're going to do well. And you're going to follow the law of love. The royal law sums up everything we're called to do as disciples. Jesus, the king of kings, he said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. What is it? Love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the royal law. The king summed it up. And he says, here's the royal law. The royal law is love God and love other people. And if you do, if you honestly really do, then you will not be partial. Our theme verse for the year, John 13, is love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. The idea is love works. God works in us. Love works out of us. Paul summed it up in Romans chapter 13 and he said, if you love your neighbor, you won't commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you won't murder. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal. If you love your neighbor, you won't covet. And for for every other question that you have, just ask yourself, if I do this, is it love? And it's amazing how many questions that will answer in our lives. No one wants to be stolen from. Nobody wants to be lied to. So the royal law simply says, if I wouldn't like it, why would I do it to somebody else? And James says at the end of verse 8, if you keep the royal law, you're going to do well. If you treat people that walk into your services like you want to be treated, it's great. Because verse 9, again, he says, partiality is a sin, respecter of persons. That's a sin. And, And not just a sin, it's a breaking of God's law. It violates his character, and now it's violating his commandment. And then we come to this famous verse, verse 10, this verse that that we've all heard and I use in witnessing, and you might too, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And the way that I use that in witnessing is uh, I typically try to take people through the Ten Commandments and try to show them that they're lost by comparing their life to the Ten Commandments and And if people are honest, it doesn't take very long to do that. And you could even, there there have been times where I've taken somebody through and they they won't admit that they're they're sinners in most areas. And and yet maybe they say, well, I have taken the name of the Lord my God in vain. I've I've used his name in vain. or, Or I have told a lie. I've been dishonest before. You know, but those are the small things. And yet this verse here says, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Meaning the Ten Commandments, it's not a best out of ten, it's a pass or fail. You either pass all or you fail all. And if you fail in one area, then you have failed in all of it. You're guilty or you're not guilty. And in, in verse 11, then he goes on to explain it even more. He said, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And so James is reminding them, the same God that said don't do this also said don't do that. So to be proud of the fact that I've never done this, 
It doesn't really matter if you've done this. You're still guilty. To break one, uh, one law is to be a sinner. John MacArthur said this. He said, it's like hitting a window with a hammer. You may hit it only once, and that rather lightly, but the whole window is shattered. In the same way, some sins are relatively light, and some are extremely vile. But breaking even one of these least commandments, as Jesus called it, shatters the unity of God's holy law and turns the guilty person into a transgressor. You don't tap a window with a hammer and only affect a small part of the window. See, partiality may not be murder and it may not be adultery, but it still makes you a breaker of God's law. So James's answer to the practice of partiality is summed up by this. Keep the royal law. Treat people like you want to be treated. And we could stop and we could apply that there. But then James takes it even, even deeper. And I appreciate that he gives us these reasonings. See, he starts again by saying treat people the way that God treats people. And that's absolutely valid. We should. And then he goes over to say treat people like God says we should treat people. And that's absolutely valid as well. But then he gets into an even deeper reason here. And it's clear that respect of persons is inconsistent with God's character. It's inconsistent with God's commandments. It's a sin. It makes us guilty no matter what. But then James appeals to another point. And if the first half of the message was James saying, treat others like Jesus treats others, we'll say amen to that. We say, yes, absolutely. We should love people like Jesus loves people. Amen? He's not partial. We shouldn't be partial. But then the appeal takes a deeper turn because James takes it to a new level in verses 12 and 13. So let's look at those verses again. He says, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. And what he's saying is, uh, you have the liberty to choose. Yes, we, we are under the law of liberty. God's word has given us liberty. We're no longer in bondage. We are free in Jesus Christ. But just because you have liberty doesn't mean that you are no longer subject to judgment. Yes, you have liberty, but you also still have to answer to the rules in place. Yes, I mean, do you have the liberty to go seven miles over the speed limit? Yes, but have you ever had to answer for the rules that say don't go seven miles over the speed limit? Yes, you have. Many of us have. And that's the idea. You've got liberty. You're not being forced to do this, but you still have to answer for this. You still have to answer to the law and how you treat other people. But James' message, though, gets a little deeper. Look at verse 12. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. You will be judged without mercy if you don't show mercy to others. And then he says, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment, which means that mercy is superior to judgment. So here's the message, and I want you to get it, because it's a nuance, and you may not capture it the first time as you're thinking through it. But he says this, think about the mercy you've been shown. See, so the first half is this, treat others like Jesus treats others. So the, 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 uh, the, the appeal, the motivation, and that is, think about the mercy that other people have been shown. 
But then he goes on and says, now you will someday stand in judgment and you've been shown mercy. So now it's no longer think about the mercy other people have been shown. James is now saying think about the mercy that you've been shown. And start letting that be why you treat people the way you treat people. Uh, Treat others like Jesus treats others, yes. But the second half is this, treat others like God treats you. And those two, are they're different. And I'm not saying that one's valid and one's not. No, James just made the appeal more personal, though. Right. You see, if, I, if, if I've got a friend, and I, I mean, since Abishua, you know, um, he has a, a background, you know, asking for things. His parents are missionaries. So <laughs> let's say that, that I have a friend, and, and Manny, we'll just say we'll use you, okay? So let's say that Manny... ...gives that $20 bill to Abishua. There we go. Okay. He took it forcefully. (laughs) And I happen to know that Abishua really needed that money. And and Abishua and I, let's let's pretend we're friends, okay? (laughs) Let's say we're friends. And I know him. And I know he needed that money. And now he's got $20 and I know how much of a blessing it's going to be. Am I going to be thankful... That he got that money? Absolutely I am. I'm grateful because it was a help to him. Now, give the money back. No, it's hard. But now let's say that the same, you know, Mr. Moneybags, Manny Moneybags. Let's say that he comes up to me after a service one night and our family's struggling. And we really need some money. And we, we, we don't know how things are going to how ends are going to meet. We don't know how things are going to come together. And I really need it. Now let's say that Manny gives me a $20 bill. That's where it should be, okay? Let's say that Manny comes and gives me a $20 bill now. Now, was I grateful for Abishua? Yes. But it's different now that it's me. Because it's not just me trying to put myself in somebody else's shoes. It's me actually being in my own shoes. And experiencing what God has done in my life. And, and being aware of the fact that God has met my needs through Manny. See, it, before it was just thinking about the difference that it made for somebody else. But now what James is saying is, no, think about the difference it's made in you. Yes, treat people like Jesus treats people. But even better, treat people like God treats you. Well, how does God treat you? Well, with, with impartiality. God is not partial to me. And listen, when you stand before God, and this is the part I want you to get tonight, when you stand before God, he won't judge you based on how you appeared on earth. And I'm thankful for that, because if he did, every one of us would be in trouble. No, when you stand before God, he will judge you based on Christ's righteousness that has been imputed to you. See, we did the crime, but Jesus Christ paid for it, and his righteousness has been applied to us. And it just, I mean, it just as a simple illustration, you know, I've got this sheet, it's a white sheet, and when I stand before God, and I, I stand before him someday, and I go before him, um, this is how he's going to see me. 
Now, he's not going to see me like this because this is me in, in just my natural position. But Jesus Christ's righteousness, once it's imputed to me, when I stand before Christ or before God in judgment, he's not going to see my sins anymore. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to me. And when I stand before him, he's not going to look at me and say, you wicked sinner. I've seen all that stuff that you did, and it's filthy, and it's dirty, and it's terrible. I don't even want to mess with this. No, when he looks at me, he'll instead see the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers me now because, uh, because I've been saved, because I've been forgiven, because my sins have been washed away. Now listen, if all I had was the hope that hopefully he'll accept me as I am, I would have no hope for heaven. I would have no hope to be able to do that on my own. I would have no hope that he would be pleased with me. I would have no hope to be able to stand before him and have him say, Welcome, Jason, in your natural condition. I would have nothing to look forward to. But listen, but God doesn't see my sin at the judgment seat. He doesn't look at me and say, You filthy sinner, I don't want any part of you. You need to get out of here. Uh, you, you need to get away from me. I, I don't have, want to have anything to do with you for the rest of eternity. No, if I've been saved then the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me and when he looks at me on my judgment day he's not going to look at me and say get out of my face he's going to look at me and say I see the savior I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ and it's been applied to your life so James is saying if you if God has shown you mercy then it's time for you to start looking past the clothing and it's time for you to start looking past the skin color. And it's time for you to start looking past the appearance. It's time for you to look past the hygiene. It's time for you to look past that unimpressive demeanor or the ratty clothes, the vile raiment that he says. It's time for you to look past the fact that they've done, they have nothing to offer Eastside Baptist Church. Because frankly, that's just like you were with a holy God. And yet he covered you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the law of liberty means I've been redeemed. I'm no longer in bondage. I'm no longer doomed to the eternal consequences that I deserve for my sin in this body. I've been set free by Jesus Christ. And, and God has applied the righteousness of Christ to my life. And he will apply it to anybody who simply makes the choice and says, I want to be saved by faith. And James says, now, now, now don't just think about Jesus treating other people. Now it's time for you to start thinking about treating people like God treats you. Consider how God has treated you. And when you stand before God, he will refuse to see the sin in your life because it's been cast into the sea. It's, it's as far as the east is from the west, from the west and it's, your, it's Christ's righteousness on your life, not yours. It's Christ's. He says in, again in verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Listen, when we stand before God, mercy wins. It rejoices against judgment. It's superior. Mercy comes out on top. So here are the questions. So then why would I turn around and treat someone worse than God has treated me? I'm a sinner and God has been impartial to me with mercy. So why, Eastside member, is there someone in this congregation that you will not talk to? Does God not talk to you? 
Remember, if our motivation is we're going to treat other people like God has treated us, why is there somebody at Eastside then that you don't have a relationship with? Say, I just can't forgive them. Okay? No, our motivation is how has God treated me? So let me ask then, has God not forgiven you about something? Has God not shown you mercy when you really needed it? Has God not overlooked a failure in your past? So you'll embrace the mercy of a holy God, but you won't show mercy to another sinner? So has God not shown mercy to you? See, that's the kind of person in verse 13 that isn't shown mercy. It says, no, it's mercy, it's judgment without mercy, if that's your, if that's your mentality. So, so you'll embrace God's mercy, but you won't talk to certain people if they come into our church because of their skin color? So did God filter you out of the salvation line because of your skin color? You'll embrace God's mercy and enjoy it, but you won't take time for somebody in the Spanish ministry? Wait, was God biased toward you based on your background? When you start to consider the way that God has treated you, all of our excuses on how we treat other people go out the window. I mean, bus ministry, I mean, we, it's not going right now. I'd love for it to be going soon and quick and rolling along, literally. Now, how do you, now, so you say, well, those bus kids... You know, the old church curmudgeon. Those bus kids. Just tearing things up, running through the halls. Now, how did God treat you when you were rough around the edges? How did God treat you before you had all the answers? There's a guest that comes in and they, maybe they don't look like they have anything to offer Eastside Baptist Church. And so we, we don't receive them, but wait, so, so are you saying that God saved you based on what you could bring to the kingdom, and if you hadn't had a certain amount of talent, you'd still be lost? Did God not save you, no matter what talent you had or didn't have? Did God not look at you and, and, look at, and say, well, you know, he didn't have a whole lot to bring, but I love him. People come into Eastside Baptist Church. People come into your life. Maybe you work with some. And maybe there's people in your life in your neighborhood. And you've got people in your family. And listen, you're not extending any mercy at all. But if you start to think about how God has extended you all the mercy you've ever asked for, it starts to wipe away any excuse we've ever had. How could we, as recipients of mercy, refuse to pass it on? No, there, there are two phrases that came to my mind as I was meditating on this. First, I, I, let me say, we don't overlook sin. That's not what I'm saying. But if there's, if there's ever a place, in, or if there is any place in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that anybody can enter and find mercy, it should be right here at Eastside Baptist Church. Because we are people who've been shown incredibly, incredible and immense and everlasting mercy by a loving God. And the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is this, made by love and mercy. I mean, we're made by love and mercy. 
but are we marked by love and mercy? We owe everything that we have to God's love and his mercy. But I wonder how often people would say that church is full of love and mercy. I I mean, think it happens. But when we start to examine how God has treated us, we think, man, I've received a lot more than I've ever given. And we're made by love and mercy, but are we marked by it? Because we are who we are because of God's love and mercy, it made us. And we should do what we do to show God's love and mercy. It should mark us. You know, we have a lot of things right. I think I'm just emotional because I'm tired, by the way. We have a lot of things right. I was looking at the platform today, and I was, I mean, all the chairs are back up now, but just kids all over the place. I was watching the workers, and they were just excited, as excited about the songs. And I looked at Cassie, and, and I had asked her to be the first one that kicks it off with speaking. She, she looked like she was about to pass out. <laughs> all right. She did great. I mean, every week, I, I mean, every night this week, I saw volunteers show up, and people come, like, hours early. Just to be like, what do you guys need? Volunteers, I mean, working hard. I, I mean, I, Jim Floth, you know, he's got a bad back and he's lifting the penny trash can. I mean, like, what are you thinking? Like, Abishua's arms are the size of tree trunks. Use him. <laughs> you know, volunteers and hard work and a great spirit. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there, there were moments where you didn't have a great spirit. I mean, or that you always had a great spirit. I mean, I know how kids can be, and I know how, you know, sometimes when a decision gets made and you don't understand it, I get it. I mean, sometimes the spirit's not what it needs to be. But in general, I mean, I never saw that. Had a great spirit, a spirit of unity. We're investing in kids. I mean, I, as I, I mean, I was standing here on Wednesday night, and our church family was here, and we had the invitation, and those kids just popped up and stood up and said, I'm ready to go get saved. And on that night, I mean, about 10 of them. I mean, you really just, you can't, you can't do any better than that. It's like, it's the best. It's, the, it's what we do it for. Show up this morning in men's prayer meeting. We got guys here praying. And as soon as breakfast was done, I mean, uh, my vision for men's prayer meeting was always the, the prayer and the fellowship. But also when work needed to be done, that the men just pop up and go do it. As soon as breakfast was done, I mean, the men were just rolling along, carrying chairs, moving tables. And I was, man, this is exciting. I didn't study for my message this morning um, after Ms. Prayer Meeting because I was watching out the window. Like, man, this is, this, is a, this is great. VBS Bible School Sunday went smoothly. I mean, we didn't have anybody uh, do anything illegal on the platform today. And that's, that's always a win at Bible School. Boys won. Um, I mean, it was just. <laughs> then we go outside and I'm like, okay, how's the food going to be? And the couples class and Brother Chad and Brother Dana and all those helpers. I mean, it was just as smooth as it possibly could have been. And I was like, man, this is awesome. 
Food tasted good. I looked out there and there were kids jumping on the inflatables and there were uh, east side regulars sitting with, with first time visitors or, you know, their kids came and they're talking and they're interacting. And I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. All the teachers and helpers and workers this week and people just doing what it takes. And yet we can have all that right. But if we're not marked by love and mercy, we're an immature church. We can have everything right, but if we don't follow the royal law, if we don't treat people like God treats us, we don't have much of anything. It's back to the drawing board. So while we value the things that we have right, I mean, I was listening to the choir and excited about that and the music this morning and your energy and it was just everything good. You're, I mean, it's just a blessing. But we don't want to get rid of all that. But let's do all that well and yet always be the church that when people walk away, they said, man, that church is marked by love and mercy. Made by love and mercy, Marked by love and mercy. And if we would every day just wake up and say, God, help me to treat others like you treat me. Then there's really no problem in our lives that won't be answered with that, by that mindset. Have you forgotten the mercy that God has shown you? Is it time to extend some mercy to somebody you've been withholding it from? If you've been made by mercy, it's time to be marked by it. The mark of Eastside Baptist Church is that we're not just made by mercy. We don't just take all the benefits. We're willing to turn around and say, no, I want to give the same benefits I've received. I better give them to everybody I meet. Made by my love and mercy. Marked by love and mercy. Let's stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. We're going to have a verse of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond to the truth this evening. Do you treat people like God treats you? Or do you allow how you treat people to be dependent on whether or not you like them? Or whether or not they've ever hurt you? Whether or not you have angst against somebody, you've got some offense against somebody, you just don't get along with them, we don't work well together, or they come from a different background. Listen, there should be nobody that that you come across in your life that you can't extend some love and mercy to. Because God has extended immense, everlasting, eternal amounts of love and mercy in your life. And it's time as Eastsiders who've been recipients of that kind of mercy to turn around and show it to people that enter our doors, that enter our lives, the people we work with, the people we come across. Made by love and mercy, marked by love and mercy. Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.